Uh, I, I guess we'll we'll start with the uh, the national news then. Uh, more on Bar, which we had our Dan and I's comeback episode at least uh, spent most of that talking about. Bar has uh, been held in contempt by the House, or at least by a committee on the House, and it's now going to the full House for a vote. Don Jr. was subpoenaed by the Senate Intelligence Committee, much to the chagrin of, uh, well, Senate Republicans, despite the fact that a Senate Republican on the committee is who subpoenaed him. Uh, and they're all saying no, basically. They're all saying to go pound sand. Uh, Democrats have now subpoenaed six years of Trump's tax records, which ties into another story we'll get to in a little bit. But uh, yeah, there's a lot of subpoenas flying around. It kind of took me by surprise. I, I really thought a lot of this was wrapping up. Oh, yeah. I mean, we thought it was wrapping up. I think we, well, it's just moved on to Congress. I mean, Mueller finished his job, but yeah, then all of these avenues of investigations, I think Trump might have assumed it was over too, but, or hoped it was over. But yeah, we have at least a congressional committee that is empowered to do some real oversight and is willing to attempt it. The Senate subpoena is, I think, the, the most surprising. It certainly caught Trump by surprise and it caught Senate Republican leadership by surprise, who have all kind of universally been coming down on Bill Burr to maybe rethink this. But he's standing firm, I guess. He's out, right? He's not running for re-election, correct? I thought this was a retirement year. Yes, yes, he is. He is not running for re-election. Yeah. I've heard that from some folks I know in North Carolina. So, yeah, he's just uh, kind of pulling a little bit of a Jeff Flake, just uh, being somewhat annoying to the Trump administration, uh, certainly more than he might be if he was worried about getting re-elected in 2022. Now, notably, this... Uh... <coughs> Excuse me. This doesn't seem to have anything to do with the Mueller report. There's heavy hints being dropped uh, from the leadership in the committee that they they think Don Jr. might have uh, had some contradictions in his testimony. Yeah, he's uh, that's what they're bringing him back to do, to elaborate on areas where I think contradictions in his testimony with... Uh, isn't it also with information that's in the Mueller report that might be contradicting So I, I don't actually know um, the full top line of that. What I do know, and that's what I'm trying to piece together, is that apparently the subpoena for Don Jr. to come back was in the works for a fairly significant amount of time, uh, long enough mm -hmm. that it was pre-Mueller report. First time. Okay. Well, and from my recollection in the report vis-a-vis -vis the Trump Tower meeting, like, he said that people were not in the know, but people were, in fact, in the know. I believe that that's confirmed in the Mueller report, isn't it? That Trump did know about the meeting, which he expressly said no to, which would be a point that they can ding him on. Um, I think that that was it. I mean, I'm, I'm sure that there's a lot more. It's kind of surprising that they're willing to ding him on this at all. I mean, this literally, this subpoena dropped a couple hours after McConnell declared the Russia investigation over and done with. Like, this was extraordinarily bad timing for leadership. This, uh, which I mean, really somebody had to push back weird. on that bullshit. Like, yeah. <laughs> it just, it's a little bit surprising that Burr was the one to do it. Because, I mean, so he had always worked kind of hard to make sure the Senate investigation wasn't a mockery. But he was also very, you know, clearly carrying Republican water on that. He wasn't really looking to overturn stones that he didn't need to overturn, basically. He just wanted to make sure it looked like they were doing a, a good and thorough job. Uh, so this just seems real surprising to me. He's bearing the weight of Trump and Trump's kids and McConnell and, you know, Ted Cruz, for what that's worth. Uh telling him that he needs to, you know, step back from this, and he's holding the line. It, it's just out of character, I think. For you guys there? Yeah, yeah uh, just, I more or less agree with that. I mean, that's kind of yeah. been his role back to even in the... Uh, 20, uh, you know, 2017 period, you know, before there was any 
real capacity for oversight at all, at least in the House. You know, we were all depending on at least a somewhat independent uh, investigation being carried out in Senate intelligence, where, you know, Barr shared a pretty cordial relationship with uh, Senator Warner. And, no, I'm sorry. Yeah, you're right. Burr had a fairly, fairly cordial relationship with Senator Warner, and they were working together to not look like it was a total whitewash. I mean, that was, uh, yeah. That's basically as far as it went. It it wasn't like some searching hunt for the truth. It was just the minimum competent investigation that they could say they did one. Right. You know, not all this would be Devin Nunes. Basically. That was exactly it. I mean, that was the that was the counter example. The other, you know, the cohort in the House that was covering the same jurisdiction was, yeah, Devin Nunez, who was actively working with Trump to bury everything and commit further obstruction. So, uh, yeah, I'm I'm a little bit curious about, and me and Chris have discussed this at length, and even Dan and I brought this up last week. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm I'm a Really curious to see how far the House wants to flex their muscle on this. They're they're teeing up some more subpoenas, uh, and then they were supposed to negotiate with DOJ and Barr over some workaround, and basically told them to pound dirt uh, that the compromise for a congressional subpoena is complying with the congressional subpoena, um, and and just you know left them at the, the door. They weren't even willing to take the meeting on some sort of compromise. They were, you know, you have a subpoena. That seems like a pretty power posture to me. Like, they might be willing to actually, you know, do something about this. And my pet topic, the fact that the sergeant arms is empowered to arrest people for not complying with these, has been kind of working its way into mainstream media. I posted a link this week from The Atlantic uh, diving into how this actually works, like, as a process. So be interesting. I have been telling everybody I've been talking to about this thing, about your idea, because I just, like you, man, you told me, you totally sold me on it. I think it's awesome and kind of hilarious, and I really want it to happen, even though it's also scary for democracy. Yeah. I mean, they have a jail. They've literally kept it up for this purpose. I just, like, I want so many people like i want mitch mcconnell in there i want so many people in there just like oh yeah just give us some mud shots of these people would make me happy (laughs) we'll see how far it goes uh but i really want to see the house uh drop that hammer i don't think the senate subpoena is going to go anywhere don jr is going to say no and i think that's going to be the end of that yeah the house the house might actually flex some muscle on this i mean and of course, no surprise that I hope that they do. Um, but yeah, man, I I feel like they don't have a lot more to lose than they have to gain at that point. Like, I know Pelosi has has tried to like o- appeal to a more moderate influence previously, though even she has recently come out and said, "Okay, constitutional crisis." Like she she said the two C's. So it seems like she's entertaining that. And and Um, just as like a basic functioning of democracy, if you don't exercise the powers you have occasionally, they they wither and they die. Yeah. I mean, there's a strong argument that, you know, even if this power should be used rarely, if Congress is, it's coming up on close to 100 years since last time they used it. It was like 1924 or some shit. They sent a guy... Ohio to arrest the brother of the attorney general because right. he didn't come testify. You know, maybe it's time to just remind everybody you can do this. That it well, doesn't become some like forgotten part of American history and you preserve this power for the future. And, you know, to, to bang my usual drum on Democrats, like it's a matter of conviction. If they're going to say that there's a constitutional crisis which she's not the first Democrat to say this. And many have said it for some time. Like, at some point, you actually have to do something other than just say that you don't like this thing. Like, you have power. You have agency. If all you do is cry in the back of the room, you're not giving anybody a reason to vote for your party. 
Like if you, oh, this is a constitutional crisis, but I'm going to stick my thumb up my ass and watch it happen and be like, everybody, it's so terrible. Well, okay, nobody's going to vote children back into office. Like you, this is a prime opportunity to step up and be like, hey, we are the Democratic Party, and that means we're the party of democracy, and this is important to us, and we're actually going to fight to make sure that we still have some. Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> Uh, I guess moving on from that story, although somewhat related, one of the subpoenas they sent out that I'm sure is going to be a hard no from the White House was for six years of Trump's tax returns. Uh, the New York Times got their hands on uh, close to 10 years worth of Trump's taxes from the late 80s to the mid 90s, 1987 to 1994, I believe, uh, the time frame. Uh, they are not. Trump's actual tax filings, they're Trump's tax receipts, which uh, is the, the information the IRS sends back to you that details everything laid out in your tax forms. So it's, it's close to the same thing. Um, the source was able to verify itself to the Times with information from the late 70s on Fred Trump's taxes that the Times had previously acquired in another story documents they knew were genuine but were not publicly released. Uh, and the source was able to match up figures and documents for those taxes. Uh, so the Times was willing to run with the uh, Trump taxes story. I have my own theory about who this is. Um, and I don't know how much JJ and Dan will agree with me, but I, I think mm -hmm. it's pretty clear from my perspective. Uh, the tax information was terrible for Trump. There were multiple occasions where, uh, as far as we know, he was the top losing taxpayer in the United States of America. The, the IRS anonymizes some percentage of the top tax filings and keeps them in a searchable list, uh, identifiable by random number, but not taxpayer <coughs> fee. And Trump's were worse than that on like six years out of this time span. I mean, it's an absurd and obscene quantity of money that was supposedly going out from a single individual. I mean, it was, I think the headline figure we said was like a billion dollars over 10 years or something close to, which it's just hard to contemplate. But, you know, I think it's a little mix of fraud for the purpose of uh, making your income look lower and lower reducing your tax burden and also the man was just a shit businessman. I think that's the biggest takeaway, it seems. One of my favorite bits from this is he actually tried to transition into being a con man and getting people to talk up him potentially raiding businesses. And then he'd buy sets of their stock, let everybody talk it up about how he was going to take it over, and then sell the stock after the stock price had jumped on the assumption that he was going to raid the company. Uh, and this ended up losing money for him in the long run because people figured out that uh, it was all bullshit and that Trump wasn't going to do anything. And so he was free buying the stock a few months in advance and then just it completely tanked. I mean, also, he's a terrible liar. Yeah. Like, you know, he's a shit. It's not just that he's a con man and a grifter. He's a shitty con man. Like, he can't even... He has so much money and he couldn't even con people right. If the story you tell is good enough, it doesn't matter how shitty the con man you're doing. People will want to believe you. I mean, I guess. And, and you're, you're definitely not entirely wrong. I mean, it's it's always funny to me, like, with this reveal of, like, you know, really shattering his mythos that, like, really? Nobody could have taken a look at him at the 80s and 90s. Like, even though he was way richer, been like, yeah, everybody knows that this guy's completely Motherfucker rich. managed to lose money on a casino. I thought that was right? impossible. Yeah. Right? Uh, I I laid it all out in the group, but I am I'm almost 100% confident these came from uh, Ivana, his first wife. They married in 77. That would have given her at least somewhat likely access to Trump's late or Fred Trump's late seventies taxes. Uh, it would have been perfectly reasonable for her to have the, the marital tax returns from the time they were married. It, the tax returns that were provided to the times overshoots the marriage by about two years, a year and a half uh, from the marriage date. 
I think that's a perfectly reasonable time for this information to be exchanged with lawyers to oversee the divorce settlement and the, the alimony and all that to settle everything down. I, I, I just, I think the time frame fits perfectly. I, I think this is a bottom. I just wonder why now. I mean, she's been publicly standing by him for so much so long. But... Kind of. I mean, she did write that he raped her at one point. But then she wrote that that never happened later. She gave, yeah. gave statements that, you but know. But she's been uh, wishy-washy going both ways on a lot of things about him for like this entire presidential experience. Sure. I just, I, who knows? Maybe it's because drama. Maybe yeah. she's not getting enough of the action or whatever, enough of the grift from all this, and she wants to send a warning signal that maybe she needs to be looped in more or whatnot. I don't, I haven't settled on a motivation, so you're right. That's a weak spot in my theory. You are not doing enough to protect Junior. <laughs> yeah, I just, I'll work on motivation later. The time frame, though, is basically the Avon yeah. years. So that's I, right. I, and who else would have IRS tax receipts? The Times said that it was a source who had legal access to them. That means it wasn't somebody at the IRS. They're not allowed to do that. That's specifically against the law. They can't just go fishing for tax reports of people they want to bring tax reports about. Uh, that, that tells me it's either an accountant or a spouse. Those are the only two people I could think of who would have legal access to somebody's tax reports. Yeah, because any lawyers would be breaking attorney-client privilege. Right. One way or the other. Um, it wouldn't be ethical for a accountant to hand those over either but it wouldn't so. be legal or illegal yeah yeah it wouldn't be ethical but wouldn't be illegal probably i mean i'm inclined to agree with with the Ivana one yeah that that seems to make the most sense i i also don't have a reason maybe like Maybe either alimony or an NDA has lapsed. Maybe some part of a contractual agreement has finally fallen out over time because, of course, it would have been written long, long before presidential aspirations were a thing. Or that's you know, a total stretch, but it could it's just the only thing I can grasp come at. back to grift. There were a lot of times where Ivana could have just absolutely kneecapped the Trump presidential campaign. And there were several times she came very close to it. And each time kind of walked it back from the edge and, and all this. I can 100% see there being some sort of grift payment scheme set up or something like that. We know this is something Trump likes to do. Well, and I guess you're following that same thread. It, she would have been less protected during the campaign having sunk his campaign. Like, because if he didn't get elected, then he would have had all of this time to go after her. But now he's in the public and he's dealing with so much shit that like throwing this extra can of gasoline onto the fire, there's so many fires he's has, has to put out that she might end up being slightly protected because there's no way he'll be able to just dedicate people to go after her. Uh, they're in a target-rich environment, and it's hard to focus on one of the threats, I guess. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Wherein, you know, it can also still do a lot of damage. Like, it's still a, can, could be a, it's definitely a sizable kneecap. It's, it's his whole mythology. Starkly disproven. Yeah. Uh, did you guys see how Fox News tried to spin it? They had to cover it. It was too big of a story. Uh, and they went full on, it shows how great of a businessman he is because he had billions of dollars to lose. Uh, that, you know, they could never lose billions of dollars. They don't have billions of dollars to lose. Wow. Yeah, that's, that's how Fox and Friends covered it. I mean, points for creativity, but not much else. Yeah. All right, Dan, tell me about uh, Rudy Giuliani and the Ukraine. I hear it has something to do with Biden, but I'm not really all that caught up about it. Biden and a prosecutor. Yeah, well, this has been picked up actually by the New York Times earlier this week. And being the Times, they completely missed the point. But there you go. 
so what the story is, is that the Trump administration has been leaning on the government of Ukraine to look into some kind of alleged shady dealings involving Joe Biden's son in Ukraine, uh, involvement with an oligarch in Ukraine. And of course, like I said, the Times basically took it at face value. Does this mean that there are dark clouds over the uh, Biden candidacy uh, because you know the Trump administration is asking a foreign government to investigate one of their political opponents? Uh, and uh, Rudy Giuliani was actually planning to go and uh, discuss this with the new incoming government of Ukraine in person until I guess the word got out and then he decided, well, okay, I'll just use email. Uh, so he's not going to make the trip now. But yeah, it's just an early example now of some pretty shocking uh, abuse of power, uh, abuse of diplomatic power over a country that is heavily dependent on the United States for its uh, physical existence at this point and using that diplomatic power to try and gin up negative headlines and negative publicity for a potential opponent. And I mean, it, right now it's targeting Biden, but I think what we can expect is that they'll be doing this for pretty much anyone who manages to you know, get shaken out of the uh, Democratic primary and land the nomination. Uh, so it's a pretty scary story, and it's also pretty scary that the uh, media outlet that uh, had it first had it just so damn wrong, had it exactly the way that uh, they handled things like uh, the Hillary Clinton issues in 2016, or you know, issues in air quotes. So, so let me let me ask this real quick, because uh, this is probably a story I should know a little bit more about. This was... My understanding of what the whole conspiracy behind this is, uh, there was a, a public prosecutor in Ukraine that had some fair corruption problems. Uh, in fact, the country in general under Poroshenko had uh, quite a bit right. of corruption problems. It's one of the reasons why they elected a TV comedian prime minister recently. Uh, but the Western governments in general were, were calling on this guy to be replaced. It wasn't just the U.S. It wasn't just Biden. It was basically all of NATO, all of Europe, uh, weren't all that happy with him. Biden made a comment about it uh, while he was in the U in the Ukraine, correct? Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, and then they replaced him. And like a year later, the, the new guy ends up dropping an investigation into Biden's son over involvement in like a conglomerate, a dual partnership. Right. right, with a, a natural gas oligarch in the Ukraine. Yeah, that's the background. That's the allegation, which I don't see a whole lot of there there. But I mean, I mean I'm at least open to there being potentially a story there, but not one Rudy Giuliani is going to jet off to, you know, pull up Indiana Jones style. Right. And none of that is, you know, I think none of that is going to be significant enough to overshadow again the president using diplomacy to try and undermine political opponents in this way. That, see, that's one of the things that gets me so bad about this whole thing. I, I want to be able to trust the people in charge when they call out bad behavior. Like, I, I want that to be a thing that I accept when my government says this person was, you know, abusing the rule of law in some other country through shady dealings or whatnot. I, I want to be able to say, good job, go get them. And yeah. I, I can't trust that here. Like, I don't even know if this is a story about Biden or not. I, I'm open to the idea that there could be, but there certainly doesn't seem to be anything there at the moment. And Rudy Giuliani is not the investigative reporter i want figuring that out no and well frankly the administration and giuliani's uh, attempts to explain this don't really do any favors because they basically put it in terms of well this is what we think obama did to trump to kick off the whole russia investigation oh, in the first place so yeah they think oh obama did something illegitimate so we're just doing what he did and therefore so now we get to <laughs> exactly Exactly. This is what it looks like. Right. <laughs> oh, man. That's terrible. Yeah. 
So here we go. This is what uh, the rest of the next 18 months are going to look like because, yeah, they bought right into it. Here we go. Dark clouds over the Obama or not the Obama over the Biden campaign, followed by dark clouds of the Warren campaign or the Harris campaign or the Sanders campaign. You name it. Dark clouds and penumbras and suspicions that never seem to go away. How many times did Bernie Sanders meet with Fidel Castro in a shopping mall in Switzerland? Exactly. Did that actually happen? I no, no of course not. But no, <laughs> it could have happened. Dark clouds. Well, I, I don't dark. necessarily mean we the shopping mall in like Switzerland. Sure that it didn't happen. Like yeah. I could totally buy Bernie Sanders meeting Fidel Castro at some point. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and Muhammad Atta was there too. <laughs> I don't know, not that. But I mean, there were enough like 60 student solidarity protests that I, I'm just saying I wouldn't be surprised. Has he actually been to Cuba? I don't think he had. I like, have I no idea. That's why he I went to asking. the Soviet Union, and that's a huge to do for. Yeah. Um, I feel like if he had been yeah. to Cuba, we would have heard about it already on Fox News. So, no, he's definitely only been to the Soviet Union. <laughs> Obama met Farrakhan, and that reporter sat on that photo for like 10 fucking years until after his presidency ah. before releasing it. So, it could happen. Huh. Yeah. Yeah. It, and kind of, I. This is like that photo came out like two years ago now. But thinking back on that, like that really could have ruined his career. If that had come out like in the mix of the 2008 election, that could have been a big deal. In if it yeah. came out in like March 2008, yeah, 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 that could have been a big deal. I mean, yeah, like right around the Madrasa thing, that that would have you know, that could have really sealed the deal. That and what's his name, Reverend Wright. Yo, yeah, God. Yeah, could have been bad. And just that was the conscience of one reporter decided to sit on it until after the dude was out of office and then put it up. Okay, before we leave Bernie Sanders, did you guys see the Daily Show clip of Bernie Sanders' old public access TV show? Oh, God, please tell me it's exactly what I'm thinking it is. I, it is. (laughs) Yes. And also, it's weirder than that. Yeah, I was Who's really hoping cocaine? for like a Which grind my gears, right? him just Who, ranting at the camera. Which of you kids has seen cocaine? That was the fucking best part ever. Yeah. Like Bernie Sanders <laughs> talks to children about cocaine, <laughs> what? and it is right. No, exactly, Brock. Like whatever you had in your mind, that's what I mean. It's more like oh it's, my god. Bernie Sanders talks to seven-year-old children about drugs, and it's <laughs> mind blowing. I'm gonna have to look that up. That sounds really should. Wonderful. You owe it to yourself. I think it was what Politico had that, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's a Daily Show. Uh, the, okay. The, they've got clips of it on the Daily Show on the <laughs> YouTube. So, like Trevor Noah will talk about it. It's fucking hilarious. Uh, yeah. Damn. Yeah. That is some good shit. Uh, we'll transition to our local section. Um, you'll probably hear JJ's bit about Seattle first, and then we'll talk about the uh, Oregon. Bennett, which is currently undergoing a, uh, a bit of a boycott. So enjoy that. I, uh, I know how much that like shit in the neighborhood type thing can rattle you, so I just want to check in and make sure you're holding up. Oh, yeah. That, actually, I'm okay with that, weirdly. Um, that was not one of the shitty things. That would, I feel like it probably should be on my list. Um, it's a weird thing. It's happened a lot in my neighborhood and on our block like this is like the third or fourth incident in like six months um that gets which is not you know right like and as weird as that is though i actually have like more concerns for my safety at my school because it's like right in the middle of the city. It's, you know, in a major like drug area. Like we have a lot of ODs in my school rather routinely. Like uh, even though, yeah, there's violence near my home, sadly, increasingly more often. Yeah, I'm, I'm more concerned for my safety and my job. 
Wow. God, that's just such a rock and a hard place to be in. Yeah. So that's kind of why I missed out. On this was. This is the third or fourth time on my block in six months. Jesus oh, Christ. Shit. When I lived in the Iron Triangle. Um, in, I mean, uh, so this is Richmond. the only, this is the first time that somebody's been killed. Yeah. There've been shootings, uh, twice, like two shootings, well, four shootings, two of which were just shootings, one of which had an injury, and then this one uh, yesterday. We start like a GoFundMe to move you to Everett or something. Wow! Like, get you out of that neighborhood. <laughs> Which is funny too, because like our block is a really, really cozy residential neighborhood. Like it's always been really peaceful here. It's always been really, really nice. Um, I mean, my read of the situation that's at hand is. Um, because of the condos and because of Uncle Ike's, uh, which is like the second biggest pot shop in the state and the biggest one in Seattle, uh, a lot of activity that was happening on that block has now, because of increased police presence, has moved elsewhere, which has meant two blocks up the street onto my street. Because it's definitely like it's been a huge change, I'd say, in like the past year and a half is when it really started, like, I've seen, you know, seen more people on our, in the streets around our block, like, you know, folks talking to themselves, like a lot more troubled people who are homeless, like a lot. The open air drug market that was on 23rd has now been on 21st, which is my street for a while now, for like a year or so. And with that comes, you know, an expected level of, of violence like really like the wire style heroin market yeah jesus christ i mean like like not like people hawking it on the corner i guess uh but there are routinely cars so that photo shows my corner store i shot there fucking constantly like those people are family to jess and i like they treat us great they're fucking awesome Mm -hmm. they got held up at gunpoint two months ago two and a half months ago um but yeah, like right outside of that place on the street every night for months, wow. uh, they're just cars parked with, you know, music going on. And sometimes there's people hanging outside in the parking lot. And sometimes they're just two or three of those cars hanging out. And, you know, people wander up to an open window and then they wander away. Like, you know, I'm a fucking country rude, but I'm not that dumb. <laughs> Like, I've seen the motherfucking wire, and for sure, that's not the gospel according to, you know, Omar, but all the same, I know a fucking drug deal when I see one, and that's been going fine for a long time. Wow. But I'm like, I don't even pay any attention to that shit. Like, what? I'm like, yeah, those people aren't even bothering folks. Like, they're just dealing some drugs at school. (laughs) Can you... Talk a little bit, and with your permission, I'd actually like to cut this whole little discussion into the episode. Uh, talk about the police presence that's going on in Seattle. They're starting to do those like clean neighborhood stuff. And <laughs> Wasn't that, that an interesting that? part of that article I yeah. posted? Yeah, I, it, was, it really I was. fucking tripped over that hardcore. I'm like, <clears throat> so I, I clicked on the link in that article that actually spoke directly about that policy um fuck let me bring that up real quick so i don't screw this up um the uh, pre-summer emphasis program this in and of itself is a bizarre bizarre thing it actually appears to boil down to there are communities that don't feel safe and that has no direct tie to actual crime statistics in these neighborhoods. But the, these neighborhoods, like Ballard, don't feel safe. And so they're increasing police patrols in that area. Now, where I live, oh, actually, sorry. So of all of these districts across the city, seven in all, there are two that are not included one of which is the central district, the district I live in, the other is Capitol Hill, the district that I work in. 
Now, the reason given by the mayor for why these districts are not included in this plan is because these are the two neighborhoods where the people are like, yeah, crime happens. Like, we're more blasé about crime happening. And thus the police are like, well, cool, I guess we don't need to give you the empty gesture that is police patrols. And it, oh, which not, and this isn't me hating on the police, um, but weirdly enough, so while I was walking to the bus to work today, um, there was a camera crew, a, a lady from the news uh, with a camera guy at the corner right across from uh, my corner store. Yeah, and they're like still out there. Um, and so she's just kind of, you know, she asked me if I was from around there and I had time to kill and my bus stop was within view. So I felt I was okay. So I stopped, I chatted with her for a bit. And that, after a bit, she asked me about this increased police presence. And she's like, okay, so, you know, the police department have said that they've increased police patrols in the area. And I'm like, they totally have. And it's true. Like, I'm not lying to her. I see cops on my street every day. Mm -hmm. Like, I, 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 I feel like every day, I, if I'm outside, because to be fair, sometimes I'm lazy in a shut-in and I just don't leave. But, like, if I'm out for any amount of time, like, just going shopping, I will see a cop on my street or a block away. Yeah. Like, constantly they're always there and that's been going on for i'd say about eight months maybe a year actually yeah it's been about a year actually it was since we had a drive-by um on union also right by uh on the arterial road next to that corner store we've had a much much more dramatically increased police presence um and so the lady asked me she's like okay well do you feel like that's having an effect and I totally froze. And I was like, ah, uh, I mean, no. But I couldn't think of a, a way to really articulate my answer. Um, we chatted for a bit more, and then I left to you know, catch my bus. And while I was on the bus, I, kinda, I thought of a much, much better answer. You know, always, you know, the spirit on the stairs, uh, a much, much better response once I was gone. And I was thinking about police patrols, and I'm like, you know, Police patrols, like, they're not going to reduce crime because, like, unless you just have cops camped out there. But that just means that that is the one spot that crime isn't going to happen. Like, I don't hate the increased patrols. Um, they're, they're, they're okay. I, I don't think that they're a preventative measure. What I see increased police patrols as functionally would be an increase in response time. And with that comes a greater likelihood of catching somebody on the run. I mean, most of the situations around my place have happened in vehicles, so of course that's you know difficult, but also, you know, not impossible. It still increases a response time. It's still appreciated. But I don't see it as like as some magic eraser that takes crime away. Like looking from the perspective of some of a perpetrator of crime and being like, okay, I want to commit crime acts. Oh, look, there's a cop on this road. Well, he's driving. I'll wait, what, literally a fucking minute and a half? Yeah. Okay, cool. He's definitely blocks away now. Crime committed. Like, and so. It struck me as an odd question, and I'm glad that I had the time to kind of think about it. And, and this is a, an excellent opportunity to kind of talk about it and be able to voice that that thinking. And then to use that to come back to the mayor's, this pre-summer emphasis program. Like, while initially I was a little upset about this program, like, cynically, I actually completely agree with it. The purpose of the patrols is to make people feel safe. It's not going to lower crime in areas, and thus it's deployed to areas where the crime is not that high, but where worry is. And so it's going to theoretically shut some people up. Well, to be fair, the police could and probably should be using their resources differently. It is going to do what they want it to do. 
which is to calm people down in more affluent neighborhoods because they're reading about crime being committed in my neighborhood. Mm-hmm. It's interesting you phrase it like that because one of the I've, I've actually been kind of looking into this for about a week, although your incident really kind of brought it into sharper focus. But uh, as much as it's kind of politically a hot potato with some of the city council, it scores tremendously well with the residents in the areas the police are patrolling. So you're right; it's it's basically doing what it's supposed to do, what it says on the tin. Yeah, and. We've convinced people that this is how you lower crime, even though there's, as far as I know, limited evidence to suggest that. Like, I'm sure that a drastically increased police presence in a sector or zone reduces crime in that sector or zone. By but pulling resources that from somewhere else, also means that, around. Right, exactly, which means that resources and police presence in other zones are less and thus crime moves into said zones. Yeah, unless you're willing to like significantly escalate the amount of money and presence you place in the police department in warm bodies, frankly. You're really, at best, just kind of moving stuff around. Now, if we put a cop on every corner, we could probably cut down on the number of muggings, but uh, on the other hand, we'd have a cop on every single corner. Right, and, and that's just not really feasible, even remotely. I mean, not only that, it's not something I think I'd really want. I mean, then there's that. You know, that's the stormtrooper land. That's that's the empire. All right. Well, I'm going to cut that into our local section we talked about later. So thank you. For yeah, for sure. That. No, that that turned out pretty well. Yeah. And back to this. Uh, yeah. So Oregon has not been able to have a quorum in their Senate for uh, the last four days now. Uh, They gaveled in a special weekend session on Friday. They don't normally do that. Uh, Still, only one Republican showed up, and it's the Republican that the caucus sent to show up to communicate their demands. They're uh, unhappy with a new tax bill that's going through, uh, well, looking to sail through. The only way they could stop it is by denying the quorum. Uh, it was a tax bill that's raising billions of dollars, uh, primarily through business taxes, um, and it's, it's supposed to go to, to schools and early childhood education. And this actually has been enough to win a fair bit of Republican support on the bill itself. Uh, Jesus, yeah, how fucking heartless do you have to be? Oh, whoa, oh, oh, no. Damn. JJ, they know exactly your thoughts on this because they are actually uh, trying to get it enshrined in the Constitution instead. Their their main sticking point. They are kind of upset that the billions of dollars is coming only from business. They do want to spread the, the tax burden out a little bit to uh, some other property taxes and income taxes and whatnot. Oh, but they're going to try to love it to death by being yeah. the noble ones who want to make it a constitutional amendment well, instead sort of, of pass this bill that would work? Yeah, they they object to the fact that this tax money that could be going for schools, and it's supposed to, is actually only guaranteed to go to schools for a couple of years, and then future legislatures can direct the tax money wherever they want. Uh, they, they say to get their support in this bill, they want to constitutionally make sure that this tax money can only go to education, uh, enshrine that in the Constitution, and then it's all good. Um, and then they also want, like I said, to spread the tax burden out. They don't want it to just be a business. I, I do hope the good people of Oregon smell the loft and steer manure off of that idea. Yeah, no kidding. I, I really hope so, but on the other hand, I mean, for Republicans, what do they have to lose? They Democrats now have a super majority in, in both chambers of the legislature. They have the governor's mansion. This is the only card Republicans have left to play. They have enough members that if they all don't show up, they can deprive the Senate of a, a working quorum and prevent it from doing any business whatsoever. Wow. I mean, then the Democrats have to go hard on the offensive and just be like... and. And really find some way to, to belabor or, or prove the point that this is just to hold up the vote in favor of a vote that's even harder to pass and still won't pass. Yeah. I mean, yeah, like back-to-back wire references in segments now. It's like, yeah, this is the love-you-to-death story that Carchetti tells. Yeah. 
Yeah, and it's, uh, it, it's also, I think, kind of back against the wall time for Republicans because they've largely lost the business lobby on this. Uh, this was uh, a bill, kind of a compromise bill, uh, that worked through with the support of a lot of heavy hitters in Oregon business. Nike is on board with this, who work with their own employees' union. Uh, or, excuse me, with Oregon's own public employees' union. I was going to say, to well, like, part of that, like, two years is, you know, a couple, few years are earmarked, and then it goes into the general. Like, that's definitely the kind of thing I... I feel is more in line with the business community and Republicans. Yeah, like they, they're, they're less about targeting taxes. That That is probably some part of it, but a lot of the big sell in order to get business actually on this was that the early childhood education in particular fosters a, a lifelong kind of learning commitment from people. If you get people involved in education early, they tend to finish high school. They tend to go on to college in larger numbers. They yeah. tend to produce a more educated workforce. And yeah, ECE is so, so fundamentally important. Yeah. So that, that was kind of the sell that the business community that was on board with this bill, uh, which to be fair was not all of them, but it was a large enough stance that there was no real you know, business lobby against the bill. Uh, that was their big sell, that it, they're investing in a future workforce. Yeah. Well, yeah, because it's a PR nightmare. To be like, I'm against toddlers. <laughs> <laughs> Nike thinks children should be making shoes, not wearing Oh, them. my gosh. <laughs> like, that. there's your callback right there. Like, yeah, that's a PR nightmare. Just Everyone's waiting to about that. Oh, no, now it's back. <laughs> Seriously, right? Like, I just, like, that was off the cuff, man. If I had, like, <laughs> weeks and a million dollars to make an ad campaign, ooh, the kind of damage that could be done. Oh, man, yeah. yeah. <laughs> now, just to pull this back a little bit, I do think the Republicans have a little bit of a reason to worry about the things they say they worry about. Um. Our, our public employee retirement system, PERS, uh, especially for people who entered the system before 1994, uh, is currently ballooning. I, I mean, it's a ridiculous amount uh, of debt that state owes to that specific policy. Um, and they, they strongly believe that the PERS reform policy the Democrats are putting forward is not really all that serious. It's kind of small ball. Uh, and they... They have a firm belief that at the end of this, you know, two-year period or whatever, uh, when this money is available, that this, you know, billion dollars a year in the tax uh, on the business community that can we do be directed to PERS. And uh, I, I can't say they're wrong on that. They are correct in the fact that Democrats' plan to handle PERS is, is really not uh, as big as it needs to be. It, it really is kind of small potatoes when looking at the size of the problem. So I I can't entirely fault the Republicans for that. I, I do think that their conspiracy theory might be uh, not completely made up. So, yeah. But really, all they can do is delay. They, can, they can't stop this bill. They don't have the votes to stop it. The only thing they can do is make it as annoying as possible to pass. Yeah. I mean, but you're right, like, the purge thing is always an easy thing to hit any Democratic Party candidate on, like, anybody. And it's, you know, yeah. it's, a, it's a problem of demographics. It's, it's a very particular situation because of, you know, the increase in life expectancy and a whole lot of other factors that just kind of put us where we're at. Yeah. We made a lot of promises. We didn't think we were going to have to pay out. And it turns out, oh, we've got to pay out a whole lot. We're like, well, damn. And, and the it's demographics not impossible are great, to yeah. fix. It's just, I mean, and it's a problem that won't be forever, but it's a real, real big thing that gets really scary sounding, and it's easy to make it sound really even more scary. And you're right about the demographics. The biggest problem with PERS is not the current retirement funds. Um, in, in fact, the current retirement funds are actually not all that great. They're better than what you get in the, the private sector by and large, but they're they're not super good. Uh, and the plans done between the mid-90s and the early 2000s are also not that bad. They are more generous, but they're not a huge hole in the budget. It's all for 
the ancient plans, the ones from before the the mid nineties. I think they started. Uh, yeah, the, like awarding them the tier one plans and all yeah. that. Right. Well, That's yeah, it's just like hundred percent everything yeah. all the time. Like, yeah. Yeah, I mean, so, yeah, we, we do just it's basically like have to wait for people to die. It'll fix itself. Yeah, we just gotta well, it's, patch it's the whole. It's the same on the national level. It's the Medicare Social Security debate all over. Like, <laughs> and it's it's every state has to deal with this in terms of retirement plans, and we deal with the same thing on Social Security and Medicare. Like, it's a particular problem. It really sucks. It looks really scary, but there are ways to make it better. I mean. But Republicans keep raiding from the cash, and so right. that makes everything worse. And so that justifies their opinion that things are shit and we're all going to die and it's horrible. But there's plenty of ways that it can be patched, and it, in another ten to fifteen years, it works itself out anyway. Yeah. So, I, I, so I, I wouldn't mind some sort of like two billion dollars minimum a year on early childhood education if you want to pass a constitutional amendment amendment for that be my guest but in the meantime right. stop holding but up this bill that sounds great but i don't imagine many of those republicans would vote yes in a constitutional amendment yeah. yep. i'm pretty sure they all find some reason to be out of town that week some of them even fled the state for this boycott a couple of them are in idaho wow <laughs> uh democrats have been trying to round some of them up the ones who are still in oregon they they've directed their own uh, sergeant in arms to, to kind of round people up uh, but some of them like I said have even fled the state to get out of jurisdiction on that that is shameful yeah it, it really is you're, you're running away from it I mean yeah you're, you're running away you're being a baby back bitch yeah, like I don't get to do that at my job. Yeah, exactly. It's <laughs> like if some student's shitty to me, I don't just get to be like, well, fine. I'm, I'm not even telling you to God. vote yes. Yeah. Show yeah, up and vote God. no I'm if you want. I'm just wander off. Like, oh, that's cool. <laughs> Fuck all you all. Nobody's even saying you have to agree with the fucking bill. You can show up and say no. That is, that is part of your job. Vote no if you don't like it. And if, well, but then it passes, and, yeah. and then the business has a sad. And in, in fucking three years, <laughs> if the, the legislature directs that money to the PERS bill, you get to say, hey, I told you so, and then run for governor and let everybody know you can see the future. You know, whatever <laughs> the fuck you want to do. <laughs> Your job is to go there and vote. It's not to run away to fucking Idaho. Okay. Well, that'll do it for us this week. <laughs> Uh, thanks for joining me, guys. Have a good one. That was a have a good week. Ending. Have a good one. Go the fuck to Idaho. <laughs> fuck off to Idaho. Bye. Bye. Next week. Later. <laughs>